The SportsZilla Show starts now. I am Lance Catamaran. I'm Clint Bobsky. Clint, of course, short for Cameron, which is what my father told me. And my father also told me to live your life to the fullest. Always get an oil change. Beware of time travel and buy shirts. How did we give this guy airtime? What a week it's been. So much to talk about and so many things we can't talk about. I'll have each and every one of you know that I was a desk anchor in Utica, New York for their local broadcast news for six weeks. Six whole weeks, 36 days. And now I'm here these amateurs. Get to- you don't get the show. Together. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. I'm excited to have Nick Ailes back in studio with us today. You can see the side of him in his New York Nick sweatshirt. If you're checking us out on Twitch. Because you do that Twitch thing, twitch.tv slash QSports, Talk ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Back in to do it on a Tuesday, which means a few minutes with Coach Jim Beheim. Well, we'll have that for you soon enough. Be listening, and then we'll go in-depth on QS. Not only basketball, but a little bit of football, too, and maybe some Super Bowl and some Philadelphia Eagles with our friend Mike McAllister from 247 Sports. I'm Rain Scoop is here. Good afternoon. Tim Tebow got married. There's some stuff to talk about as far as Major League Baseball, as you heard in your Syracuse Sports Center with hashtag Greenberg. Yeah, they're going to announce Derek Jeter, possibly a unanimous selection. I've got some thoughts on that. We'll get to it. But th- the greatest thing in the world to me right now, as we deal with two weeks of hype, guys, until Super Bald Sunday, and you are to refer to it as that for the next two weeks. You got it, both. Super Bald Sunday. Super Bald Sunday. You feel free to join me in shaving your head if you want to. I might just do that. Okay. I'm, a, I'm always in it for the cause. Can we do it? I mean, maybe. We do it? Maybe. Oh. I'll give you a maybe. All right. All right. I'm going to be harassing you like crazy until then. Scoop's in the house, too. I'll give you a no right now. <laughs> <laughs> a preemptive strike from Scoop. Not yeah. happening. Because I don't know if I mentioned this here before, but I had a midlife crisis mohawk at one point in time. And uh, my ears are like satellite dishes on the side of my head. It's not attractive. I actually, in a good breeze, can take flight. Hey, at least you don't, like Dumbo with a big... At least exactly. You, at least you don't have the Andy Reid mustache. That thing has been just, I don't know, this caterpillar on his lip for years and years and years. It's gone with him to Kansas City. And not to bury the lead, where I was going with this was my favorite thing in the world surrounding the Super Bowl in Kansas City and San Francisco and everything else and the next two weeks of hype and nonsense as we wait for the big game and, well, you know, it's like an American holiday at this point, is the simple fact that they asked Andy Reid a very simple question. They said, Andy, what did you do to celebrate after the AFC Championship? Do you know what he said? Do you know what his answer was? Uh, I did think I heard this, but I'm spacing on it. You see this? Tell him what he I said. I didn't. He said, I ate a cheeseburger and I went to bed. I ate a cheeseburger and I went to bed. That's what Andy Reid did. After all of that, you think to yourself, go out, have some drinks, the family, a big dinner, celebrate with the players. What is it? That's maybe what they did. Andy Reid just probably did what he normally does. He went home, had a cheeseburger, and went to bed. Well, there's still work to be done. You know, it's not time for the big celebration yet. And if ever a guy has cultivated the Wilford Brimley look, it's Andy Reid. You know, and it's weird. Has his has the perception of him evolved over the years, do you think, from fans? Maybe not necessarily like when he was coaching Philadelphia and their fan base, but the overall fandom of the NFL, it seems like my perception of him has changed, and over time I've learned to appreciate him, and I find myself really rooting for him and want to see him 
get a ring. Well, I think people feel bad for him because he's the bridesmaid. He's been to the dance, but nobody has ever danced with him. You know, he's never won. And he's been, he's a good football coach. He's a really good football coach. But, and I think, unfortunately, he's going to lose again. I don't think they've got a chance against the 49ers defense. Is the defense that good, really? Yes. Because that is one and hell of an offense. Combine that with the, the running game that the 49ers have. And Patrick Mahomes is going to have to go out there and do a lot with a lot less time. Obviously, they're very explosive. Raheem Mostert had 220 game or 220 yards in the NFC Championship game, second most ever in a postseason game. Two Eric Dickerson back in '85 in the divisional round versus Dallas, he had 248. Lamar Smith back in 2000 wild card game against Indiana had 209. That's pretty impressive. I think one of them was, was uh, overtime game, but not obviously recent in the recent game. Uh, the, the 49ers recent game with Raheem two days ago. That's impressive. Do you think that Scoop is on to something? I mean, he sold us a bill of goods on the Titans, and they went a lot farther in the playoffs than anybody expected. I think even the Titans, if they're honest with you, would said, I never expected to be here. What do you think, Nick Ailes? I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. You th- you're out. Okay, you're with me. I do. They have enough offense, and I think that San Francisco doesn't have enough offense. I'm not saying they're going to score 51. I just don't, I just think they can score a little bit more than San Francisco will be able to because the Chiefs defense isn't atrocious. Right? No, they're not atrocious. Okay. In other words, but if you beat on them with that running game for three quarters, they're going to get tired at the end of the game. And you've got that 49ers defense that you got to beat Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. He, my state farm homie. You were clairvoyant, man. You saw something with those Titans and you were really, you were spot on. Look, Derek Henry and the Titans, you minus a few mistakes. They're closer at the end of that game than, than they were. Now we all know that that is a fantastic explosive offense for the Chiefs, but I think the 49ers have gone through this whole season as underdogs, as underrated, as underappreciated. That defense swarms. It's going to be a problem for the Chiefs. Not saying Mahomes can't make some plays, but I think he's going to be running around a little bit like a chicken with his head cut off. Do you see they're looking to wear the white 94 throwback unis? you see that? They're pushing for that. They wore them back in Week 17. They want an exception to be able to do it again. I think they wore them against Seattle a couple weeks back. I mean, that would be a great story, mm-hmm. you know, Lamar Hunt and all that with so many years later finally getting back to the Super Bowl, Andy Reid finally getting a championship. That would be a great entertaining story. But I just I just don't think they've got enough for the 49ers. I think the 49ers have been overlooked all year. Do you know Pat Mahomes was a Tigers draft pick? I did. Did you know? It's pretty funny. Uh, somebody pointed that out on Twitter. And they said now the Detroit Tigers have actually drafted more Super Bowl starting quarterbacks than the Detroit Lions have. <laughs> ouch. Ouch. You're on top of things, Nick Ailes. Mm-hmm. Were you aware of all of this stuff before I, I laid out everything we were going to talk about I today? saw the tweet. Okay. I saw the tweet a couple days ago. So he did. So he's on top of this kind of stuff. I'm gathering some good information for us to talk about, I hope. You are. What would you bring today? Sometimes, I did you, have sometimes you bring something in and you surprise us with it. I wonder what that is before we... Uh, Move on. I did have else. something for you, but it's more about 
the Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. So, so we're going to wait to the baseball segment? Correct. Okay, that's on the way. We're going to do that in our next segment. I'm very excited about that. That's his wheelhouse right there. Yeah. He, he's a baseball dude all the way. That's, all the way. This is our dude, Nick Scoop, and Rain here, Sports Little Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. And you can check our chicken on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Talk. My second favorite thing, though, is um, Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd. It's really simple. Did you know he's a huge Kansas City fan, the actor Paul Rudd? I saw people getting pictures with him on social media at the game. He's the, the, the meme with him now is huge. Look at us. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. Yeah, I had to do that. I know it's played out, but I had to do it anyways. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody uses the Paul Rudd meme. I mean, I haven't seen that. Didn't know he was a huge kid. Hey, look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. Didn't know he was such a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan, but I'm learning that. He was on the sideline. The players were celebrating with him. He was in the locker room afterwards. He was going crazy. He is pretty hyped for this. A big Kansas City fan. When they were in the World Series, he was in the crowd then, too. That's that's his home. That's where he's from. I'm glad he didn't slap a police officer on the bottom <laughs> during the celebration in the locker room. He is not Odell Beckham. A couple things happened in the NBA, though, that, that I want to touch on uh, before we get to our first break of the Sports Hill Show. Delonte West, who at one point there were the rumors about him and Gloria James, LeBron James' mom, actually. Uh, but then he was on Cribs, and he got married, and, he, and they have kid. And I don't know what's happened over the last few years, but a lot of his former teammates and players in the NBA are concerned about his mental health. He's obviously got some issues with drugs, he was seen in the street getting beat up. The video and it all exploded all over social media last night. Well, is that drugs or is that alcohol or, or is that both? And I looked at him for a second. I'm like, is that really Delonte? Well, those are some pretty distinguishing tattoos. People, it was it was a shocking watch. And you know, he's saying some guy had a gun, and then he's sort of nonsensical and not following what the police officer is asking him. I think it's a combination of mental health led to the abuse of alcohol and drugs, and he's in a terrible place now. There's all these folks, like Des Bryant among them, said, I want to reach out and help him. That's great, but I couldn't help but be struck by the contrast between that and you got Antonio Brown tweeting yesterday, I use. And, it's cryptic. You wonder what's it about. And I didn't see people trying to reach out to Antonio to help him. Maybe maybe there were, but I saw a lot of people responding with funny gifts and memes and, and piling on. And I, I just thought that was a stark contrast. Okay, I get it. There's a lot of things about Antonio Brown not to like. But if you help him, maybe there's issues, underlying but issues there. Here's a guy who I also think needs some help, some of the same kind of help, perhaps. And I would think that the NBA has somebody on the staff, their staff, that can go to him now and help him out and at least give, you know what, he has to choose to help himself at the end of the day, but at least you get him in the hospital, you put a temporary hold, you, you get him right a little bit enough that he can understand, hey, we'd like to give you some options to move forward in your life and get healthy and maybe go be a father again at the very least. So you hope that's what happens. It's far bigger than sports and basketball. You might see something like that. He was a good player. Clearly, clearly he was liked around the league. When you see the amount of former players, former teammates, even college teammates that have reached out and said, we're here for you, man. Let us know if we can do anything. 
obviously a well-liked guy. He was well-liked in Cleveland. I wonder, with regards to Antonio Brown, if Drew Rosenhaus would reconsider his uh, separation from Antonio, maybe not try to represent him uh, as an agent, but reach out to him as a human being and a brother and say, hey, man, I am here for you. How can I help? Because something is going on there. And I think mental illness, alcohol, drugs could be very much a part of both of these stories. On a positive note, Lakers beat the, or excuse me, Lakers were beaten by the Celtics. That was interesting. Interesting game. I'm sure the glue guy feels good about that next time he's in here. Probably tomorrow. We'll ask a little bit more about that. Damian Lillard dropped 61. I think that's his second 60-point game this season. It's pretty impressive. You look at all the guys that have dropped 60 in a game, and then you look at Will Chamberlain, who's done it, like, it seems like 75 times. If I remember right, the stat was nobody in NBA history has scored over 60 and shot 10 threes. That was the first time that's ever happened. So there's uh, there's Dame. There's Damian Lillard. He's a good basketball player, of course, teammates with Carmelo. So for some reason, I find myself paying a lot more attention to the Blazers this year than I ever have before. We're going to come back. Major League Baseball's next on the SportsZilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. We are back. We are on twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. Give us a bit or two if you're feeling that. And uh, let's talk a little baseball. I was very interested in the piece I read last night in the Chicago Tribune that sort of was a pitch for Dusty Baker to be the guy that cleans up the mess that is the Houston Astros right now. And then upon reading that, I thought, well, geez, there's a few other teams that probably might want to have a conversation with him because he does have a pretty good resume. He is a great baseball mind. The gist of the article in the Chicago Chicago Tribune was that, you know, he had to deal with Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa had to deal with all the questions about the PED usage, had coined the term steroid McCarthyism, and all through that was very good at protecting his players. Altuve... Bregman are probably going to need that this year. A piece was written by Paul Sullivan, if you want to look it up. But uh, it was a convincing argument for maybe hiring Dusty Baker to lead the Astros. Or the Mets or the Red Sox. It's that point where we're getting closer and closer to spring training, and you usually have a manager in place at this point in time. This unexpected turn of events here with the punishment coming down for the cheating scandal Suddenly, three managers are out. You've got to get things in place to get the season started. Do you have time to interview 10 guys, five guys, six guys, and and go through everything? Or do you know you've got a guy that gets the analytics, but he's still old school in some ways. He's a good baseball guy. Dusty Baker is a very decent option for a lot of teams, Scoop. And I did. I got a chance to read through that a little bit. It is a good read. It's out there. Out there also, Nolan Arenado from Colorado wants out. He's got a lot of money and a lot of years left on his contract. Nick, I know you're a big baseball guy. There's all sorts of rumors now about him going to the Yankees. They've been looking at him for years. I think that's just to, to it's clickbait, right, when they talk about that. Yeah, I agree with that. Stanton, similarities with a lot of money, and now, of course, they don't have any leverage against him, so we'll see how this breaks down. But a lot of baseball writers 
are tweeting about that. Keep your eyes on that name. I know he's out in Colorado, but he really is one of the best third basemen from a defensive and offensive standpoint in the game, at least in the National League. What do you have? What's your tidbit? Oh, he's all around one of the best players in the game. Top 10, maybe even top five best players in the game. He is not getting moved. There's just too much money, and the Rockies have lost all leverage. Yeah. But from what I hear is that he loves it in Colorado. He never wanted to leave, but he feels disrespected by the GM, Jeff Bridich. And from multiple reports, Bridich is just a, a tough guy to work with. Not a lot of people like him. So... Maybe the GM gets moved and they move so on. So where does that go, though? You know, does yeah. the GM get whacked? The, you know, you've you've got an uncomfortable situation there, an unhappy player with some of the situation, this GM. So how does that play out? It's interesting how powerful players are, especially when they have a lot of years and a lot of money on contract. Is that what you had and had brought to the table, or was there something it's else? It's not. I have a little challenge for you. Okay, what is it? So, so today, obviously, the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. gets the announcements come in, and everyone's talking about is Derek Jeter going to get unanimous. I think he should, but I don't think he will. I think it'll be just short, too. I think he'll be one sh- one or two short. couple contrarians but out there. I found a an article about the top ten moments of Derek Jeter's career. Yeah, I was wondering... If if I gave you guys could work as a team as this, I don't really care. If I gave you a minute, could you name me five? Probably not, but because right away I'm I'm thinking about his swan song moment. Well, I haven't, and I know that it. that doesn't even measure up to some of the other moments in his career. But that is, that final uh, that final at bat, you know, when they won the game, was just a fantastic moment. The hit that broke uh, Lou Gehrig's record. Well, do you want to try it? Because I'll start the clock. Sure. All right. And go. The 3,000th hit the home run off that's, of David Price. That's there. The hit that broke Lou Gehrig. The home run against the Oreos back in the day uh, when the kid, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Mayer, Meyer, that's there. reached over when he dove into the stands. The play with Giambi's brother when he was in Oakland, the flip play. Hold up. You just got five in 17 seconds. There you go. I mean, we're done. I, I got wow. it. I, I met your challenge. We could go wow. on. But, yeah, I know my Yankees. Wow. The other five, if you were curious, were his... Subway Series, World Series leadoff home the run. The home run against the Mets. Mr. November. Yep. First player to ever do that. His farewell to the old stadium in Ab- 2008. Absolutely. The winning, speech and everything else. Winning ring number five, mm-hmm. 2009, and his walk-off in 2014. Then his oh. final game. See, oh. I would vote for his hookup with Minka Kelly as a, a Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, that moment. was number 11. Claiming when he was 11. 19 years old in single A, I think it was Greensboro, that he was going to marry Mariah Carey someday. He didn't, but he at least ended up dating her. <laughs> Dodged a bullet there. And yeah, she went a little cray-cray. <laughs> that's that's good stuff. I'm a very yeah, impressed. Good. So Derek Jeter, is he going in? I mean, we can speculate who else is going in. Everybody's got their reasons. They vote for this guy, the other guy. Pete Rose has been out talking about the cheating scandal. There's all sorts of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. But I'm just very excited because it could be the second unanimous. It'll probably break the 80,000-person record as far as attendance for Mariano last year, the only unanimous player to ever go in. I mean, it's going to be a great weekend one way or the other. And I tell you this, Eric Jeter, you can say what you want about what he's done post-playing career, and there's issues, oh, they don't like him in Florida because it's a business, and he's a businessman now. He's not a player, but unquestioned. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and if you don't vote for him, he should be unanimous. Because as everybody tells you, he played the game right. He was the face of the game for almost 20 years, Scoop. 
Well, baseball writers are the biggest cranky pants people in the world, for crying out loud. They will hold a grudge forever. I'm a guy who holds a grudge for a long time. These dudes, I I got nothing on them. They're way beyond me. You know, uh, this is why the steroid guys still aren't in, a lot of them. I mean, how do you not have Barry Bonds in there? It's just because he was a jerk to a lot of these guys, yeah. and they are still holding that grudge. We're going to come back uh, talk about some cues. Mike McAllister, 247 Sports, and we did have a chance to talk to Jim Beheim. We're going to try to squeeze that, and if we can't somehow, we'll make sure you hear that tomorrow. All next in the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Welcoming to the phones from 247 Sports. It's been too long, and I'm glad he's back. Mike McAllister, all things Syracuse football and basketball specifically, except we're going to talk about the NFL really quick first, Mike. San Francisco, Kansas City, who do you got in the Super Bowl? Let's start there because I know you're going to be watching. Isn't everybody? Of course, you have to. It's it's a thing that you do every year regardless of how well or poorly your team does. You always watch the Super Bowl. It's always fun. Um, it's a little bittersweet because it means the end of football season, but it's always you know fun to watch the big game. Um, I think I thought pretty much the whole season that San Francisco is the best team. Their front seven is as good as we've seen in football in a number of years. And offensively, they've got enough speed and playmakers, and their running game and offensive line is good enough um, that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have to do a ton. And when he does, I do think he's capable. Kansas City's offense is, is disgustingly good, and they are the fastest team in the NFL. I think I go into the game with San Francisco having a slight edge, but I am pulling hard for Kansas City as being an Eagles fan. Um, I'm very fond of Andy Reid. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and uh, would love to see him get a Super Bowl as a head coach. I 100% agree with you. I am absolutely a Chiefs fan on Super Bald. Sunday. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> and it's not necessarily the end of football. The XFL is right around the corner. That's true. There is a well, little, that's true. There's a tweak this year. The glue guy's on top of things. The Sportzilla show, of course, on ESPN Radio. Matt Page, the glue guy. I'm Rain and Scoop here. Once again, Mike McAllister, nice enough to join us on the phone. Mike, you mentioned your Eagles fandom. I've got to <laughs> ask you, I thought the Eagles were totally screwed by the league. The Jadavian Clowney hit on Carson Wentz. It sure looked like targeting to me. It sure looked like he lowered his helmet when he was already hovered over top of him. Roger Goodell in attendance. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Michelle Tafoya barely even mentioned the possible illegality of that hit. And the league acts like nothing wrong happened there. And if you are an Eagles fan, you have to feel screwed by the league, and I think that's what the league did to Philadelphia. Yeah, because, simply because of the fact that they didn't do anything about it after the fact. It's one thing if that play happens. Obviously, the league can't prevent Clowney from making that hit in the first place, but and if if maybe you know the officials, because it, it happened and the way it happened and where they were positioned, happened to not see it, how excusable that is is, is a, a, a separate issue. But then the fact that the league, after the fact, came out and didn't find him, didn't suspend him, they just said, nope, clean hit, all good. It's literally the exact opposite of everything they've been preaching with player safety. It can't lead with the helmet. If you are rushing the quarterback and your pinky finger happens to brush slightly against, 
a helmet of a quarterback, that is roughing the passer. Yet, if you make a tackle that in no way, shape, or form is that ever a natural tackling motion when a quarterback is on the ground or in the middle of sliding to the ground, that you can tort yourself so that your head is spearing downwards first, which is, again, not a natural motion of anyone ever making a tackle in the history of football with your helmet going straight down towards the ground and your helmet contacts the back of his head and smashes it into the ground. That is the exact play that the NFL has been preaching that they're trying to get out of the game, the exact type of a hit, helmet-to-helmet contact. You can cuss the guy and knock him out of the game. I thought it was a dirty play. I'm not saying Jadavian Clowney is a dirty player. I thought that individual play by Jadavian Clowney was dirty because since it is not a natural motion and you have to contort yourself in such a weird way to get to that angle, that means it had to have been intentional since he wasn't pushed by anyone to get into that position. And the fact that he then knocks the player out of the game and the NFL comes out afterwards and says it's all clean, it's hypocritical by the league. And uh, I think that every Eagles fan has a um, full right to feel like they were, you know, the cheated a little bit in, in being able to see what this team could do with Carson Wentz leading them for the whole playoff game. It's baffling to me because I can't buy for one second all those stupid NFL fa- Facebook safety ads that are in my feed and on TV. I can't buy for a second that they sincerely believe any of that garbage when they just act like nothing happened with regards to that play. It was it was just a screw job all the way around, and how they can act like nothing's wrong here. I mean, we've seen any number of plays the whole rest of the season that would result in a flag, that would result in possibly an ejection. If Jadavian, I can't even, if Clowney isn't in the game, I'm so upset. <laughs> Go. If he's not in the game, he doesn't make that hit at the end Doug, on McCown, and maybe McCown runs into the end zone on those bad legs. Yeah, and, and you know, listen, here's the other thing. If that hit happens on Tom Brady, Clowney is fine. I'll leave it at that. I can't argue with you, Mike. As a Patriots fan, I 100% agree with you. Um, what are your expectations for the XFL and guys like Eric Dungy going into this league? I hope it does better than the Alliance for American Football or whatever they called that thing. You know, that cave midway was... through the season. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was it was fun to watch when it was going on, um, at least in the onset, and then. Um, you know, it wasn't well run in that they didn't make it easily available on television. I think that's what you have to do until the league establishes itself is you have to put it on something that's easily viewable in terms of um, cable, free television, over the air, uh, whatever you want to say, streaming, all of those things. The harder it is to find, the less likely people are to search it out. If you make it easy to find, people say, oh, football they're more likely to stop and watch, and then you got a shot to get yourself in front of more eyeballs. So I don't know exactly how it's going to go. I think Vince McMahon is, is a, a, a good businessman. I think he's done this before, so he's learned some lessons there. And I do think that it's a cool opportunity for guys like Eric Dungy to try to uh, impress some teams and, and hopefully make it to the NFL at some point. Mike McAllister, 247 Sports, here with us on the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio. Just give me a, a quick 60-second synopsis, your opinion on the new hires to Dino Baber's football coaching staff. Tell everybody what you know about these guys and, of course, who they are. I love them. Well, we'll start with the, the offensive coordinator, Sterling Gilbert. 
he makes a ton of sense. If you're going to make a change and bring in a new offensive coordinator, he's worked with Dino Babers before. He knows that the offense that Dino Babers runs extremely well. So he's a perfect fit there. The fact that those two have worked together with that offense and they've run it both at Bowling Green and Eastern Illinois, that means that he should be able to slide in here. There's not going to be an adjustment period because the two of them know how to work together and the two of them both know uh, what the expectations are out of that offense. So I think it's a great hire. Having him be the quarterback's coach makes a ton of sense as well. It gives Tommy DeVito someone who's had experience coaching some big-time quarterbacks, including Jimmy Garoppolo, who we we mentioned earlier. So from that perspective, it makes a ton of sense. I think it's going to be great for Tommy. It's going to be great for recruiting because you now have a quarterback's coach who has some, uh, you know, an established resume. Defensively, Zach Arnett comes in. He's going to run the 3-3-5, which has been extremely successful out in the Mountain West, which is more known for offense than defense. I think it gives Syracuse a better chance to be competitive on the defensive side of the ball at the ACC level with some of those teams like the Clemsons and the Florida States and the Louisvilles with the, with the uh, skill position talent and the athletes that they put out on the field. So I, I do like that. And I think the fact that Zach Arnett is young and brings some of that um, youthful enthusiasm, I think, is going to be great, too. And then he slides in and becomes your linebacker's coach as well, which is what Brian Ward was. So that prevents you from having to hire uh, someone else on staff because he can sort of fill in two slots. So I think both hires make a ton of sense and uh, really interested, especially defensively, to see how that plays out. It's Mike McAllister, 247 Sports, here on ESPN Radio on the SportsZilla Show. Okay, one more. Going to tap your expertise for Syracuse basketball because obviously on Saturday, Heim takes the team. They go down, they play Virginia Tech. They squeak out the two-point win, uh, basically sealed it when Landers Nolly had missed that three-pointer. It was like five, six seconds left in the game. But Scoop called it revenge, payback, because 11 days prior, well, they came up here and they beat us. A completely different team in my mind over the course of 11 days. You've just seen a different Syracuse team. They've now won three in a row. They've got momentum. They're certainly answering a lot of the critics. And in Bayheim, we trust because this team is starting to be what we expected. Obviously, there's work to do in a lot of different areas, but there's so many more positives, and we feel a lot better about them looking ahead to the Notre Dame game, the rematch of the Notre Dame game on the 22nd, Mike. And how close are they to being, you know, they're, they're 11 and 7 now. How close are they to being 13 and 5? And five and one, or or six and one, or whatever, whatever it is, in ACC play. You think about the original game against Virginia Tech, and outside of about a two and a half to three minute run where Virginia Tech went, I think sixteen to two or eighteen to two run in the middle of the second half. Outside of that little spurt, Syracuse controlled the entire rest of the game. They were in the lead for about sixty five, seventy percent of that game when when you break down the the time that they held the lead against Notre Dame. Similar thing. They controlled large portions of that game, but didn't make enough plays down the stretch to get the win. You fast forward to the game against Virginia, the game against uh, Virginia Tech, and look at what they did down the stretch of those games. It seems like a young team who is sort of figuring itself out early has kind of figured out from those losses how to make the plays down the stretch of games in order to turn those losses into wins. And the fact that they lost to Virginia in game one, came back and beat them on the road, lost to Virginia Tech in the Dome, came back a week later and beat them at their place. Now you've got Notre Dame. If they're able to do that as well, I think you look at the Syracuse team and say, you know, they, based on the way their schedule looks, 
if they're able to pull out a win against a Duke or a Louisville uh, or a Florida State, pull out one of those wins, and then win the, the majority of the rest of those games, they're a team that's going to at least be on the NCAA tournament bubble when a week and a half to two weeks ago it didn't look like they were even going to be on the NIT bubble. Amen to so that. I think, I think this is a, um, a, a perfect example of why you need to let young players develop. We also need to understand that Jim Beheim, for whatever flaws you want to say he has, still knows how to coach basketball. He still knows how to develop players. And if you're going to rip him when the team is 8-7 and seven and losing games you don't think that they should lose, then when they win some of these games that you don't think that they should win, you need to equally give him praise. I know there's a lot of Jim Beheim haters and a lot of people who call for him to retire when they were losing games earlier in the season, whether they were 4-4. Four and four I'm not seven. one of them. But – this guy still knows basketball. He still knows how to coach basketball. He still knows how to win games. And I understand the Syracuse team is flawed, but let's appreciate what's there. Let's be fair if we're going to rip him during some losing streaks to praise during the winning streaks. And, again, I think it goes to show you that when you've got a coach like Jim Beheim, you always feel like you've got a chance. Listen, we should take a break, but I need 30 seconds of your time to answer a really quick last-second question from Scoop. Well, I mean, who would have thought going into this game in Virginia Tech at Blacksburg that we'd be talking about points in the paint and rebounding being a huge difference in getting a win in this game? Because of the adjustment that, again, an experienced coach like Jim Beheim made from the first game, which is he put more guys in the low block to, to rebound defensively. And then offensively, he completely changed what they've been all season offensively. They've been a distribute and jump shooting team. And he made them post guys up and make plays in the paint out of the post type of a team. You saw uh, Quincy Garrier do that a little bit. Elijah Hughes do that a little bit. You saw Buddy Beheim drive inside yes, on several occasions. Those are things that you have not seen all year, especially putting guys in the low post. He took advantage of his team's size advantage, and he exploited something that he noticed from watching film from the first game. So, again, an experienced coach, a huge adjustment to what the offense has been all season, and shows you what that experience and what that high level of coaching can do. Mike, as always, thank you for the time. Mike McAllister from 247 Sports. Let's do it again, but a little bit less time in between. Let's do it as soon as possible. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio. We'll be right back. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Now, Jim, everybody's making a big deal about the win over Virginia Tech and Buddy getting the co-ACC Player of the Week. But before we get started on any of that and look forward to Notre Dame, I want to ask, how is Jimmy doing in Cornell? We've asked you a few weeks ago to give us a little bit of an update. Yeah, he's been playing good. He was hurt. He was out for a couple of weeks with a bad ankle sprain, but um, they just haven't been able to win. It's just not quite good enough this year. He's having a solid year. He's probably averaging around 19, 18, 19 plus a game, but they're just, you know, they're not winning, so he's upset all the time, which he should be because, you know, he wants to win games. But, uh, you know, he's getting better. He's really improved as a player. Not enough people are asking about how Jamie's doing out at U of R. She's, well, she's not playing this year. She's just playing. She's just going to school. She's actually one of the managers on the basketball team, which she really is enjoying that and, and just going to school. She's uh, 
having a really good year. She's very happy. Sometimes that's okay, too. Let's get started on Buddy Scoop. Well, you know, ACC Player of the Week honors, co-honors, uh, 18 straight points in the game against Virginia Tech. We're scoring inside. Great game for Buddy. And how do you feel about how he's doing? I mean, you got to feel great about it. Well, we need him to have a good year for us to win. <clears throat> so, you know, that's the important thing. It's uh, We obviously we need everybody to play well, but uh, certainly we, we need him to, to put the ball in the basket for us. That helps our team. But uh, he's improved. He's worked really hard. I think our backcourt has gotten much better. Joe's played really well since he's been in there. Um, uh, you know, offensively, we're getting better all the time. Our defense has been a little better. But it's not good enough yet, but we're getting better with some of the things that we're trying to do on defense now. But uh, we still got a ways to go. We still got to get better. That's that's a huge key for us is to keep getting better as we go along. We're still a young team. We're still capable of getting better, and that's what we're trying to do. Jim, I, I'm interested in, not so much in your reaction, but what was Julie's reaction when Buddy was running back down the court after he was saying that Hunter Couture can't guard him? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was excited. That's what happens when you're a player, you get emotional, and that was great to you know get emotional about it, get ready to go, and uh, you know be a leader out there. That's important for us. So all these young guys have to step up. So far, that's that's what they've started to do, and hopefully, we'll keep getting better. Tough game at Notre Dame. All the Games are tough. There's nothing easy in this league. Every game's right down to the wire now. And, you know, we just have to hopefully keep getting better as we go along. The Athletic did a piece on how you put that lineup in at the end of the Virginia Tech game that you hadn't used. Once in a while where we might put Elijah back there, I don't think that'll be very often. He's a forward. That's where he's best. Are you familiar with Matt Gutierrez of the Athletic? Yeah, he's a very good writer. He sure is. Good writer. He talked about your success in tight games, and I was just wanted to throw something at you and see see what your reaction is. Is it because, as far as like Brent Axe is concerned, and him telling you you maybe not to play the man to man so much? Is that the success in the tight games? I mean, I'm kidding, obviously, uh, but the adjustments that you've made over the years and, and your reaction, basically, that listen, I've been here and done this before. I, I kind of know what I'm doing. You not you need to listen to me. <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter whether I do or not. I'm the coach, so whatever I do is what we're going to do. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully you wouldn't be here for 44 years if it wasn't working, at least some of the time. Um, you know, for, you know, whatever defense you play, it has to be good at the end of games and, uh, you have to make good sound plays uh, offensively at the end of games. That's how you win those close games. It's difficult to do when you're in a close game. Uh, you know, they can go either way. You just try to, Give your team an opportunity to win, get the ball in the right hands, and, and try to play the right type of defense, even out of our zone. We change it up a lot. So all those decisions, uh, you know, if the players execute it, you have a chance to win. Uh, if the players if you have a great game plan, a great idea, if the players don't execute it, you're not going to win. So it's a player's coaching type thing, but it's what the players do that really determines who wins the game and uh, – Hopefully we can keep doing that. X-Man, Brent X on the block next. See you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Sportzilla Show, done for the day. ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1.